This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, telling your story as a nonprofit leader is absolutely critical. This is perhaps one of the most important aspects you can do as an executive of a nonprofit. So how best can you tell your story? What are the best mediums through which you can tell your story in order to have the biggest impact? Well, these and many other questions will be the focus of this episode as I interview the CEO and co-founder of a nonprofit that is dedicated to telling captivating stories. My guest today is John Pretty. He is the CEO and co-founder of the Windrider Institute. John is an entrepreneur and Peabody award-winning film producer, and along with his brother Ed, is an executive producer of multiple award-winning feature documentaries. Enjoy today's show. Well, John, I'm so looking forward to diving into the power of film to impact not only individuals, but actually to impact policy and impact whole communities. But first, for my listeners, I'd love for you to introduce the Windrider Institute to all of us. Uh, It's a nonprofit organization that you started. So give us a snapshot history of how did it get started and why did you start it in the first place? Well, Rob, thanks for having me on the show. It's always great to be with you. And uh, yeah, the Windrider Institute's a fun story because we're entering into our 18th year. And it really started with the idea that what would happen if we came to the Sundance Film Festival there in Park City, Utah, where you're located, and watched Sundance films and came back and talked amongst ourselves. And uh, as it turned out, my brother Ed and I and Dr. Craig Detweiler and Will Stoller Lee, who were at Fuller at the time, I was a Fuller Theological Seminary student getting my graduate degree there. We did exactly that. We came to Park City. We went to the festival. But what we learned is that the the films that Sundance was showing were so current and really important that we became quick and fast super fans of the festival. And also, we learned that the filmmakers really wanted to talk to us about their films and subjects. And so now, 18 years later, we bring 40 undergraduate Christian colleges, theological seminaries, churches and ministries to Park City, Utah, and uh, consider ourselves super fans of the Sundance Film Festival. Beyond that, uh, full partners with Sundance. And I want to get back to the Sundance piece because that is a fun partnership. I've had Sundance Institute on the show before. They do really great work, obviously, in the area of film. Everyone has heard of them. But I want to ask you, why film? I know your story a little bit in that you could have invested your time and your energies into a lot of different sectors, but you chose film. Why? Why is it so important that you put that much time to start the Windrider Institute that's all about telling stories centered around using the medium of film? You know, I think it's because, Rob, the power of story to disarm us and to give us a different perspective perspective is always critical. But good independent film, like we see at the Sundance Film Festival, literally takes us to places we haven't been, introduces us to people we haven't met, and it makes the world a lot smaller. And in an era now where there's so much conflict and, you know, we're being divided every day on 24-7 social media, media in general, 
Stories have the ability to move us out of these binary encampments and start with a topic, a story that helps to move us from maybe an entrenched position or to uh, an unempathetic position and be able to like crack open empathy and crack open seeing the world in a bigger way without being reduced to uh, our little little boundaries. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm going to explore that a little bit more about telling your story, uh, because that's so important for nonprofit leaders to tell their story well. You as a filmmaker, and you work with filmmakers all the time, that is a critical piece of what you provide. And I know you know the value of that. So maybe let's jump into that a little bit. Why is telling your story so important? And how have you gone about doing that with other nonprofits and then what you do at the Windrider Institute? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of the nonprofit sector in general, and I just see the nonprofit sector, and we saw this during uh, the pandemic, literally nonprofits really shining a light on all of the issues that were taking place and really on the front lines in such a heroic fashion. And we work very closely with the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust, and we do all of their media work. They're a large foundation that does an amazing job of supporting nonprofits across the country, but specifically in the Pacific Northwest. And not only do we do the work for the trust, but we also do a lot of the work with their grantees, nonprofits who are trying to tell their story. And as you know, Rob, the work of a nonprofit alone, just to get the work done, is like a full-time job and then some. So the idea that you then have to work on raising the money and building the infrastructure and doing all the other things is really difficult. And we think that somebody coming from the outside to help focus a bit on the story of the nonprofit downstream, like what's happening in the impact with the people that a nonprofit serves is such a great way to bring about the story of, a, of the work of a nonprofit, as opposed to starting with the executive director of a nonprofit and hearing from them only. We like to go downstream right to the people who have benefited from the work and the service of the nonprofit and see the transformation. So to be able to tell the story of the tr- at the transformational level is really a wonderful thing because the work the nonprofits do oftentimes is unseen. You are so right on that. What have you found when you've worked with other nonprofits? What have been some of the biggest barriers that are really keeping them back from telling their story well? I think it's just the challenge and busyness of operating a nonprofit. That alone, the time consumption, the energy consumption, always understaffed, always raising money, People don't really know how much work goes into keeping a nonprofit afloat. But then I think also reminding nonprofits of the people, the communities that they serve, and to look outward and see the impact uh, that they're actually having and hear it from the people most impacted by the work of a nonprofit. And I guess I would say oftentimes, most nonprofit leaders honestly are very humble. There's a level of humility that's natural to their way of living their life. And so they're not trying to shine a light on themselves. They're really doing work and they're really serving. But at the end of the day, that work is important. That work needs to continue. And to be able to show in a tangible way the impact and the meaning that a young that a nonprofit is having, I think is really important, but oftentimes a barrier for the nonprofit itself because they don't see themselves necessarily that way. 
Well, I think that's so true. You know, my own experience and people I've had on the show before, it's true. You just get caught up with all the day in and day out tasks that it's difficult to really think through, wait, I need to tell a story here. How do I do that? Well, let's get good video content, whether it be social media or just put it on their website. So couldn't agree with you more. All right. So back to film a bit. You mentioned before Sundance, you have a good partnership or actually a really special partnership with them. And I know personally, I love that because, you know, you're right. Uh, we are based here in Park City and we do a lot of different things with Sundance and, of course, with the Windrider Institute. Tell us more about this partnership. How did it start developing and how has it expanded the reach of Windrider specifically during the festival? But one of the things that Sundance does, I think, better than any festival is they they really attract cutting edge filmmakers. These are independent filmmakers and across all genres of film, whether it be feature film, documentary, short content, experimental content. And they, these are generally independent filmmakers who are on the front lines uh, of culture. And so we see the filmmakers themselves as sort of being out there in the various ways the world is operating, but, but in a way that's on the, on the front lines of communicating. And so Sundance has a knack of curating their festival around those kinds of filmmakers, many of whom are making their first film. And so these are not studio films from Hollywood. These are not films that have tremendous budgets. These are films that are oftentimes driven by passion and passion alone, small budgets, you know, not enough manpower. In fact, in many ways, independent film looks like and probably should be a nonprofit. There's a lot of similarities between an independent film project and the way it constructs itself and with the nonprofit enterprise, because an independent film project typically is trying to serve a niche that's been missing, trying to shine a light on something that is uh, maybe a bit in the dark. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Oh, that's so true. And it's interesting that I think a lot of people, speaking of Sundance, not only do they champion independent filmmaking, which feels very much like a nonprofit, Sundance itself is a nonprofit. Now that comes to a surprise for a lot of people, but technically this, the Institute is a nonprofit. So they function in that way. And the film festival is one of their big fundraisers, of course. But again, it's all about promoting really good film and people that are on the cutting edge. And you bring up a good point, you know, in the sense that a lot of these filmmakers are on the front edge of culture. And one of the things I mentioned earlier was I do think I've seen the power of film to change people's minds 
on a policy or on an issue that really has perhaps divided them in the past. Why do you think film is so powerful in that way? And have you seen an example where you could share, you know what, we saw this film come across, we had the filmmakers come to speak to our students. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I saw some policies start changing in the various states or cities where these films were being made or the content of the film impacted their community. Do you have any examples of where you've seen that actually happen in real time? Well, you know, the first thing that occurred to me as you were describing Sundance as a, as a nonprofit, that they are like many nonprofits in the sense that they are known for the Sundance Film Festival because that's what's out there. But the work that they do behind the scenes that people don't often see in their labs, working with the next generation of filmmakers and artists across the board, whether it be music or all the different things that they do. So there's this behemoth effort in the Sundance labs that actually is hidden to the general public at large. The insiders in the industry know about it. And I feel like that's just important to bring out because I feel like that's where the heavy lifting happens that actually turn into, you know, these stories that that do make an impact on us. And when you think about policy, policy is a slow a slow process. And we have local policy at the city level, the county level, state level, federal level. And so policy is very, very important. And policy is also unglamorous in a lot of ways. And so it feels, again, policymakers, true policymakers, feel like they're doing the heavy work like nonprofits do. They're doing that's the heavy lifting, carrying the water up the hill. And it's so important. And so I think when uh, a film, uh, a documentary, feature film, independent film, and I'll give an example of this last year, uh, the film that won the Sundance Film Festival in the narrative category was a film called CODA, C-O-D-A, standing for Children of Deaf Adults. And it was an amazingly beautiful film about a young woman who could hear from a family of all deaf people. And they were fishermen, a fisherman family in uh, New England, and she was their um, sort of their, their, their eyes and ears and voice. She could speak for them. Well, her gift and talent was she could sing. And so I thought, what a great way to show a family dynamic, one subject matter, another way to talk about disability, and another way to talk about ability. And of course, the film won Sundance and then went on and was purchased by Apple for the highest amount of money ever paid for an independent film. And I thought, isn't it interesting, a film that would focus on a deaf family that is fisherman in Gloucester, Massachusetts, or whatever it was, right, with a daughter who wanted to sing that would get accepted into, I think it was the Berkeley School of Music, just a really beautiful family story. But why that relates to policy is that, you know, it makes you step back and think about the various policies around the hearing impaired and what might need to be done generally for that. It reminds me also of 2020, I think was the year we saw the film Crip Camp. The Obamas were executive producers of this Netflix movie Crip Camp. And it was the story, they've got this great footage, this documentary, a great footage of this group of young kids who would go to this camp every year with people with disabilities. Now this is 40, 50 years ago. And back when, you know, disabilities were kind of hidden and not shown in the public. But this is the only time those kids could feel normal because they were around other people and the disabilities were across the board from cerebral palsy to, you know, to, to everything. Well, many of those kids, in particular, one of those kids grew up to be a person who spoke up for, for the ADA, the American Disabilities Act. And so it was really a young kid who was shaped by that, that environment. Now, 
because that story got told, I was reminded of what happened when I was in college in 1978 when ADA, American Disabilities Act, passed, right? And everything changed on campus from access and all those kinds of things. Things started moving in the right direction. But to be reminded at Sundance 220 that there was an actual policy behind all of this uh, would be a good example of films can have an influence on current and future policy and a, and a retrospective on how we got from there to here, which I think sometimes the history of policy could be more informative. But if you just did a white paper on policy, you'd fall asleep, right? So you need to have really great narrative arc to bring people into that. It goes back telling a compelling story again, even for policymakers, they could probably work on that a little bit more. So, but great examples, both of those. I was familiar with both of those films. You're absolutely right. Powerful films. Obviously, people resonated with them right away. Personally, I could tell my listeners, you know, one of the most powerful experiences still to this day was when Windrider, your group, and Sundance came together. They helped do this film screen for the film Burden, which I encourage people to check out. It now finally got picked up. It took a while. It was in the Sundance Film festival, but, and it won all kinds of awards, but it wouldn't get picked up because the topic was really, really hot. And it was, I think, very controversial. It talked about white supremacy. It talked about racism in the South. One of the main characters and the main heroes really was an African-American pastor. So I remember walking away when we did that film screening and you, you, I should say you did that film screening and you had the Q and a afterwards, you know, this is before the George Floyd protest, you know, that emerged last year. That was such a great conversation. And for my listeners, again, what was so powerful about that was the African-American pastor who was the hero in the story. This is based on a true story. He was actually there. He was there in the audience. And then he came up for the Q&A. He was on the panel and uh, you got to be the Q&A moderator for that panel. Why do you think it was that that film created that safe space to talk about a very divisive issue? Because I know we all walked away. I talked to so many people from the community. It was a packed house. And people just felt like it was a kind of this electric experience where we were able to talk about a very difficult topic in a way that we all kind of came together and discussed a, this issue in, in a very safe way. So how did, you, how did you do that? How did that film kind of set us up for that kind of conversation? Because I think that's part of the power of not only telling a really good story, but creating opportunities for then our community to come together, get away from our warring factions, so to speak, as you mentioned, the binary between two different options coming together as a community to talk about a really important issue that impacts us all. What, what was it about that? Because I know you've done that across the country multiple times. I just experienced it once. You've experienced it many times. Well, the film you're referencing is called Burden. The filmmaker is Andrew Heckler. It's an amazing story. It won the Audience Award at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. I think one of the things that appeals to the Sundance Institute about Win Rider is that we also take the time to have these moderated conversations with the filmmaker or the subjects of the film after the film is over. Because when you have a film like Burden, and for your audience, the film was difficult. It starred Forrest Whitaker and Garrett Hegman and Usher was in it. And it was a true story based on Reverend David Kennedy and a man named Mike Burden. And the quick story is in 1995, Lawrence, South Carolina, Mike Burden was a Klansman. And he got the idea of opening up the Redneck Shop and KKK Museum. So the local African-American pastor, Reverend David Kennedy, didn't think that was a very good idea. And so he became started protesting against it. Long story short, Mike Burton actually tried to kill Reverend David Kennedy. And anyways, Mike Burton fell in love. And when his love found out that he was a Klansman, she said, you got to make a choice. Me or the Klan. 
And he did what all the smart guys do. He pitched the woman. Well, the clan, clan didn't think too favorably about that. And they ruined his life, you know, make sure they lost their jobs. And they basically were living out of the back of their car, homeless, no food. And there was only one place in town that could provide food. And that was Reverend David Kennedy's church. And he went one better and invited them to live at his home. And a story of uh, reconciliation and forgiveness, not overnight, mind you, but it's a true story. It actually happened. And for us to have, and so beautifully played by Forrest Whitaker, who played the Reverend David Kennedy, to have the real David Kennedy with the filmmaker Andrew Heckler in Park City with you guys and that sold out theater that night and to hear the story of, of, of healing, forgiveness, uh, reconciliation, seeing the other person and taking the time. You know, I think the Q&A must have been, the film's two hours, the Q&A must have been 45 minutes or maybe longer. I don't know. I think it was at least an hour. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel that long, but to take the time to really go a little bit deeper and ask the questions of Reverend Kennedy about all the things that you want to ask somebody that was in that situation. And so I think part and parcel of the independent film in general and the power of story as well is the ability to have a conversation around it afterwards around these things, because the filmmakers don't stumble in. The, the, Andrew Heckler from Burden took him 20 years to make that. So, wow, I forgot it was 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. Wow. And so when people would watch it and say, is this, is this movie about something today? Is it about the political environment today? It's like, no, no, this is 20 years. This story took place 20 years ago. So it's just, I don't want to say it's timeless because we hope it's not timeless. We hope that, you know, there's, that we have another time in our life. But this is long before George Floyd and all the stuff that we've had go on in the last year and a half and still ongoing with the racial tension that really sort of gave us all that got a chance to see the film and talk about it to the people involved, a chance to, I don't know, have a release of some sort of um, uh, stress, just to be able to say there's hope. There's hope. It's not easy. A lot of hard work needs to be done, but gosh, it's hopeful. It's hopeful. And that's, that makes that. And that's the one requirement that Windrider has when we go to a film festival is, we don't mind grinding through the darkness. You could have a slop around in the mud. We're okay, but you got to give us a way out. We've, you got to give us a way out. Otherwise, if you just leave us in the mud, it's not for us. We, we, we need to point to the future in a, in a positive way and at least be on board with a, a way forward, even if the way forward's not easy. And I think Burden's way forward is not easy, but hopeful. Uh, well said. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, my listeners, check out that movie, Burden. It's fantastic and well acted, as you mentioned. Okay, now transition a bit back to the other things that Windrider does. Not only do you provide these wonderful film opportunities, these moderated discussions about films like we just mentioned, but one of the core missions of Windrider, and again, just a reminder, you are a, a 501c3 operating nonprofit. One of your goals is to create revenue. Uh, revenue generating opportunities. It's really a business model for you. And one of the ways you do that is by providing and producing high quality short films for nonprofit organizations. And so I have a feeling some of my listeners may be saying, hey, I want to contact John because we need some high, well-produced films to help tell our story better. So maybe talk about that. You already mentioned you do it for MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Tell us about what you do and how has it become a successful revenue generating opportunity for you that really helps further your nonprofit model? Yeah, you know, as an operating nonprofit, we need to operate 
And so we do that. And, and so um, 70% of our revenue is earned income. Um, we do it through our forums, uh, through you know sponsorships and forum fees and all the things that we do. But also we do a lot of production and we get hired to do production that fits our, our mission. But also the bulk of that comes from nonprofit oriented groups, a lot of educational groups. And I think part of what our, in addition to telling the story is we're also helping groups to do training and development within their nonprofits because we don't make curriculum per se, but we provide resource that could function and be dropped into a curriculum and outreach and a teaching model. And so we get a, with a lot of requests to do a masterclass type of work for a particular organization who's trying to instruct something, teach something. And we don't write that curriculum. They do. We just bring it to life visually. And uh, I think that's another component of an interesting way that visual content is having an impact that, that really works for this moment in time. And we also know that the generation coming, whether it's millennials and younger, and we're long like the millennials are aging, but you know, we're down to Gen Z and what have you. And, and we're learning very quickly how visual that generation is. And so I feel like for Windrider and for any nonprofit, we need to be thinking about how to communicate what it is we do visually. And so if there's a teaching and a training component, how to make that uh, have a visual, you know, a visual aspect to it uh, feels right. Well, out of curiosity, because sometimes we'll get speakers and or guests on the show that talk real brass tacks. What would you say, do you know the percentage of your revenue that comes from the short film, if you want to call it enterprise aspect of your model? Like what percentage are we talking about? Is it a large percentage of your overall budget or a small percentage? About a third, be about 30. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. Okay. Well, and the reason I say that is I've had people on the show talk a lot about um, creating these revenue generating uh, opportunities, whether it be a thrift store or, you know, for you, it's making films for others, but creating those revenue generating opportunities for your nonprofit, I think is really cutting edge. It's really smart. And it just gives you a, a better balance when it comes to your income. So you're not just reliant on grants or on, you know, the individual that's giving you 20 bucks a month or whatever. You're spreading your opportunities for income to different areas. And obviously it still fits very clearly within your mission. So I really like that you're offering that. And, and again, my listeners may be interested to find out more about that. Now, as I think about Windrider in the next few years, what are your goals for Windrider Institute? How do you envision it growing and expanding? Well, there's been a, tr- a rapid acceleration during the pandemic. I feel like we started to see trends that were in place prior to the pandemic about the amount of content, visual content that people are consuming. I mean, I literally, I think I've done with Netflix. I've watched it all. <laughs> you know, people say, what, what are you watching? You're done. You've every single film. <laughs> there's nothing left. I've watched everything, you know, because we were home watching a lot of films. But what we observed in the midst of all of that is it's still very difficult to find audience for a particular film. So you have to know your audience and you may not be able to get to them directly. And so at Windrider, we create, we have what we call Windrider Studios where we create short films, we license short films, and we, and we distribute them through our network of nonprofits, educational groups who license our content for, to be shown to their constituents because the stuff that we're making, the content that we're making fits what they're doing. And so we have an expansive library now and so the future of Windrider is going to be through the studios where we are finding our target audience, but finding our target audience through a middleman, an old-fashioned three-tier distribution, as opposed to being a B2C business to consumer. We're a B2B business to business model. 
And it fits nicely in our nonprofit structure because um, we're also serving and providing that content to an audience that may not have the funding and budgets that typically they would need. So we're sort of PBS meets uh, curated content. At least that's our, that's our goal in the next couple of years. Oh, I like that. That's a good description of what you do. Well, if there's people listening and they maybe are budding filmmakers and they want to get involved more or find out more about what you offer, maybe even come to Sundance this next January in 2022, uh, how would they find out more information and what kind of opportunities are out there for them? Just go to our website, winriderforum, F-O-R-U-M dot org. And then you'll see the email on there. You can email our staff and, and they'll get back to you. I think it's, you know, I think networking is really important. And I think for the nonprofit sector, which I feel like when we talk about policy, Rob, I think I would be remiss to not bring up that it's important, very important that we be advocating for good policy around nonprofits. Because, you know, administrations come and administrations go. And at different times, people want to start tweaking how people would make contributions to nonprofits and things along those lines. And I think very important that we all gather together and make sure we're all lined up to ensure that the nonprofit sector is fundable. Because if you remove the nonprofit sector from the work right now, you, I don't think the public at large would recognize what would be lost. It's so much of the work of the nonprofit sector is hidden. So I think that's good policy just to, to be locking arm and arm on. But I also think for a nonprofit, tell your story, tell your story, get downstream of your story, find that young college film student that's in your community that needs to make a little bit of money, but doesn't need to get rich on it right now today and, and bring them in and have them tell your story. For us, the opportunity is, first of all, you can come to our event, the Windrider Forum at Sundance. The information will be on the website soon as we'll be live again in Park City. We'll be with you. And um, there's just, you know, I would encourage, especially all young filmmakers to continue to network because it's one degree of separation in our small world. Oh, I love that emphasis. And that maybe is at least my last question. Again, very practically speaking, for my listeners that are hearing you say, yes, tell your story better, invest in that. What would be your just initial gut response to say, how much time should an executive director or CEO of a nonprofit invest in storytelling, coming up with a story, and then you know actually going through either a film about telling your story or uh, working with somebody who can put together a film? Because an ED and a CEO of a nonprofit has a lot of different things on their plate, but how much of a percentage you, do you think or you recommend that they really invest in storytelling? Well, I... I think of storytelling, if done the way I, I've seen it work well, fits in the development budget. And so when you think of the work of a CEO <laughs> and the percentage of time they're spending on development, which is nights and weekends and trips and all the stuff that CEOs do, and for bigger organizations, you know, development directors, but a lot of energy already exists in the development space. And I I would even fault Windrider a few years ago. I would say, we say we're a cutting edge media company and we're out raising money through patrons with stick figures on a chalkboard, you know, right? And we're in the business and we're in the business. And so I think the first step for me is to think of telling your story as a function of your developmental budget. So how much time you spend in the developmental space can be enhanced by your story being told. And so when it fits in there, it feels like it's not ancillary. It doesn't feel like it sits outside of the day-to-day busyness of a CEO or ED or director of development. Um, and then I think, you know, 
Think about the transformational impact that you would want to be able to communicate to your constituents, to the people who fund you, to your own staff. You know, it's, it's hard to believe even in nonprofits how, how siloed we can get within our own groups, even if we have small staff. So sometimes we have to tell our own stories to one another. And then in so doing, and your board, you know, like you think of the board, what's asked of the board of directors to come in every year and, you know, do all the stuff they have to do with approving the budgets and managing all the fiduciary responsibilities. And they, they get to hear the story sometimes least often than anyone else. And so sometimes the power of your story can, can, can motivate and inspire your staff, can motivate and inspire your board, can motivate and inspire existing constituents to then help tell your stories. Now you're building a little distribution network. You're building a group of people with arms and legs to take that story out. Whereas if you, if you use one-dimensional or two-dimensional delivery, it's you, executive director, talking to donors or talking to foundations. And I think you have to flatten that out and spread it out and make it, make it a bit more organic, even viral. Well, I think that was one of the best nuggets that we've heard in a long time of just building your distribution network, right? By telling stories to board members, your own team, and then from there, yeah, to the rest of the donors. I think it is so smart. And yet I do think we overlook it. I think we're so focused on donors and like I say, for executive directors, these one-on-ones, but boy, yeah, it just makes sense, you know, to tell your board, tell your, the rest of your team, and then they spread out and they start telling the story over and over again. And all of a sudden now the impact is exponential compared to the time you have, you only have 24 hours in the day to tell, you know, meet with so many donors. I love that. I love that emphasis. And I hope my listeners are really kind of leaning into this one. One more time, John, give us your website and how best they can contact you if they want to find out more about the Windrider Institute. Windriderforum.org. And uh, the information will be there. And Rob, thanks so much. Thanks for the good work. I I've been listening to the podcast since you've been on air, and I really appreciate it because I feel like it's uh, we're all in this together, and I think we feel it more now. I feel as those of us operating in the nonprofit sector, you know, we can feel isolated. We can feel like we're carrying all that water up the hill ourselves, and it's nice to be in a network that affirms and encourages, and that's what this podcast and your work is doing, Rob, and the great work that you're doing. So. Always happy to be with you and on the show. Oh, John, thank you so much for sharing your insights. You're doing great work. I encourage my listeners to check out the Windrider Institute. I've really, I've personally been impacted by all of you as you've heard my story, but uh, you will be too. And if you want to take a, a risk and come out and join John and the crew at Sundance, it's a fantastic experience. And uh, again, John, thanks for your leadership. Thanks for all you're doing. And thanks for the stories you're telling. You're inspiring all of us. Thank you, Rob. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.